we kept the Jewish holy days. We kept the Ten Commandments. We read our Bibles 30 minutes every day. We prayed 30 minutes every day. We had all these things that we did. And it's really easy. It's really appealing because you can look at what you do and you say, God, look what I do for you. And aren't I great? <laughs> um, don't you owe me something, God? <laughs> so what that law-keeping actually produced in me was a whole lot of fear and condemnation on myself and towards everyone else, even my family. Um, you become very judgmental. Um, I believed my view of God was totally um, veiled. I believed that God was a nitpicker, just waiting for us to slip up. And when I would read my Bible, I would just see the judgments. You know, I would see where Israel uh, failed to obey God, and then they were punished. So I went along this way, and through my teenage years, I kind of put this stuff on the back burner, like most teenagers. And I uh, married my high school sweetheart, and... We had our first daughter, and I wanted to save her from the wrath of God. So I thought I could do that. <laughs> and so I began to, uh, I found a church, sought out the same denomination, and I found a church. And so I began to uh, be very diligent. Well, we had a second child, and I was as diligent with her. And then a couple of years later, my marriage fell apart. And I was really angry with God because, you know, God, come on. I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing here. And so at this point, you know, I had a lot of frustration, a lot of anger at God. But it wasn't too long after that, I, I met Vince and fell in love with him. And we were married in... December of 1982, so 30 years coming up. And um, he was raising his three youngest children, and, and I had my two daughters. So we have a blended family. A blended family is hard to begin with, but you add legalism to that. And you don't have very happy children. <laughs> Let's put it like that. <clears throat> so... Uh, in 1986, the leader of our denomination dies, and the new person that was in charge began to bring in, question our beliefs, and question what was going on, and why were the fruits of what we were doing not better. And so there began to be real upheaval in the church as he tried to move us closer to grace. Um, an interesting thing is, is uh, a lot of people just left the church. And a lot of people said, oh, he's going to suffer condemnation over this. And sadly, the man got cancer and died. He was only leader for like seven or eight years. And he did get the And so everybody says, see, see, 
he wasn't supposed to do that. But nevertheless, God was working behind the scenes. God was pulling us. God was changing us. And so amidst this upheaval in our church and kind of the upheaval and my feeling like I'm a failure as a parent um, at home, God was really working on me. He um, got me to a point where I realized nothing I did counted. Like nothing I did mattered. Um, not in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so finally at that point, I began to see Christ. I began to see grace. And he began to heal me of this fear and condemnation. He began to give me beauty for ashes. So I just want to testify that God is good. He wants to bless all of us, not just me, all of us. And that as his daughters, we don't have to do anything to qualify for his grace. So... Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jeannie. It's so exciting. You know? Jesus, the ones he came down on the hardest were the Pharisees, right? Well, we're going to move on. Our Confident Woman Seminar speakers are ready. Our first Confident Woman speaker here, I know, is David Galligan. <laughs> One of my favorite son-in-laws. And he knows a confident woman that we all know, and I can't wait to hear what he's going to say. She's talking about herself. Ah. <laughs> no, that's my, um, that actually, that is her, and I want to thank Kathy. Um, uh, just uh, honor, honor is given where honors do, and her, just, she, just, she just deserves so much honor. Let's give her a hand right now. I just appreciate what God is not only doing in her life, but... Um, just the effect of everything that she does. And, um, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, man, we're just in such good company here. I mean, we're in really good company. Um, you, when you are in ministry, you get to start seeing a lot of people, and you still see, uh, you see a lot of people that come from a lot of different uh, backgrounds, a lot of different situations in life. And it's amazing in... Sometimes in ministry, you have a tendency to try to apply a particular solution to every problem um, in the same, even though it's like, um, we know that Jesus is the answer to every problem. We do know that. But we know sometimes people need a certain element of healing. They need, a, they need time. There's some people that can jump into healing and receive it, and there's other people that, that need time. And like my wife... Um, my wife, she's, she's not here. She's working. Uh, I love her to death. Honey, I love you. I know you're going to listen to this recording later. Um, I honor you and nothing else. And um, she's, I, I'm, I've been so amazed because in our relationship, um, she is, um, we have a very different uh, personality in the sense that even in our gender roles, uh, she is very to the point, give me the bottom line, I'm just tell me about the details, what's going on, you know, and that's not, I don't know why that is, maybe that's why I'm speaking at the women's seminar, and she's not, <laughs> but one thing that she's always been like that, and even some girls that come, and they want to, they, 
they'll come to her and Kim will be like, Kim will just tell them what to do. Okay, look, this is how you need to fix your problem. You know, just do this. And when the girls, the girls will look at her and be kind of like, well, that's not really wanted to hear. I wanted a shoulder to cry on. Well, she's like, well, you want to you, you fix it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is how you fix it, you know? And so, and then the girls will be confused. They'll come to me. I'll be like, well, sit down. What's going on? And, oh, okay. And then, and like, and I, and I have to tell them, I said, look, you can get a thousand gummy vitamins from me, or you could take one horse pill from her. <laughs> You're going to get the same effect. Okay? The end goal is the same. But sometimes uh, different people, they appreciate different treatments. And, and I just want to honor my mom, uh, Carol Galligan. That would be my mom. And I love her to death. I'll just give her a hand. And I appreciate because in, in being in ministry, I, I, um, being in a house growing up in ministry, uh, sometimes you just need to learn. Sometimes you don't need to say a thing. Sometimes you just need to sit down, be quiet, and watch what God's going to do. You know, because the Word of God is already there. He's not going to add anything to it. And you, sometimes you speak into a person's life and you just say, look, this is, this is what God said. And if, if you're having a hard time finding the the desire in the process, then you need to stand on the principle in the process because the principle will not turn void. Um, I do know that in discipleship, um, in, in, in really being confident, uh, the goal in discipleship is intimacy. It really is. Um, Jesus never did anything and taught his disciples anything that his intent was not to draw them closer. Everything that he did and everything he taught was not simply just to, this is a principle to live by, but it was to bring them in. And I think a lot of times people seek to establish principles rather than to pursue intimacy. And see, intimacy is what develops a relationship. Principles are there for when the intimacy is not. And, however, it's like, it's like the principle is the foundation of the house, and intimacy is how it's built. And I know that as being, I, I've watched this, I've just watched this, I've seen principles and I've seen intimacy. And there's a, there's a lot of times that when you, when you are in ministry and you are engaging in people, and I, and I say this, to, to you ladies because it is your nature to engage. It is your nature to build. I mean, that's, I mean, you, you, you look at just, you look at who you are. You, uh, man, uh, it's so funny. My wife will bring a piece home. She'll get it a garage sale and she'll just be like, you know, guess how much? I'll be like, I don't know, $5. Nope. Guess again. $3. Nope. Guess again. And, you know, and I got to get it to the penny. And she has so much fun in the hunt. And then, but the thing about me, though, when I get a piece of furniture in my house, I don't see how it sits and how good it looks. What do I do? I go over and I shake the tar out of it because I want to see that it's going to be sturdy. She wants to see that it brings out the beauty. I want to see that it's going to last. And there is a very valuable principle in, in that. Women bring out a beauty. Men want to make sure that it's going to last. And so there is an absolute, absolute necessity 
that is completed in that unity. And uh, amen, I guess I actually should probably get to my introduction, because <laughs> that isn't even it. How much time do I have? I got like five more minutes, don't I? No, but really, how much time do I have? <laughs> Ten forty. Okay, that's good. I got twenty-five minutes. All right, so I'm going to talk about the confident woman this morning. I know, right? I'm going to get to that. Got to preface a couple things real quick. Um, I do think it's very important that I lay down a foundation for what I'm going to say because if I just go straight into it, um, well, that's just the nature of a guy. Lay down principles. So I already laid that down. I'm going to talk about real quick the revelation about revelation. Real quick. I think there's a lot of times that we can receive something. I think a lot of, it will receive a lot today. Um, but that revelation, it's, it's like if you can imagine there's just a work of art and it's being covered, okay? Revelation is the removing of that covering of what is already there. See, the work is already complete and the work is finished, but what revelation does is it just exposes what is already there. And what we want to bring today, we really want to bring revelation of who you are. Not what you will become, but what God has already done. Because he has already provided everything. And if you have received him, you are a completed work. Your spirit is done. And the rest of yourself, the rest of your being is actually sanctified by your spirit. And so the beauty in the work of art, it's already there and it's already done. And what Revelation does is it uncovers the beauty that already exists. So with knowing that, I also want to say that Revelation is not creation. Creation is the existence of something from nothing. Revelation is the pulling off of something that's already there. You see the difference? Okay? And every revelation that God has... See, there is a price for revelation. Can I just say that? There's a price for revelation. See, every time something is revealed to you, about you, you now have knowledge about you you didn't know before, and it actually will cause you to lay down an old reality. Because a lot of times we get, we get revelation about ourselves, but we simply look at it and we admire the possibility, but we don't integrate it into our reality. So what, I wanna, what we want to bring today as a whole is not something that's new. It's already there. This is interesting. Can I just, what, what did God say to Moses? He says, what is in your hand? And we know that the rod was in his hand. He said, throw it down. See, rod, the rod was a symbol of authority. Okay? What, what did David have? He had a sling. He could not go into battle with someone else's armor. It could not be put. It was already something. See, and I just want to say, the confidence you are receiving is already there this morning. The victory that Israel needed was not something that David didn't have. It's something he already had. And it's actually something that he was developing his entire life. And he didn't know that his fun, fun pasture slingshot in times is going to bring salvation to an entire nation. And the same thing with Moses. Moses had the staff that whole time, but he didn't realize that that staff 
was going to, the same staff that he would cause to guide sheep in line was the same staff that was going to part the waters that would be the baptism of the children of Israel leading out of Egypt. So if you can just receive that this morning, the revelation that you receive is going to cause you to put a current reality at bay and say, look, this is, your, this is God speaking to you. I have greater things for you. But if you want this new revelation, there are some things you have to leave behind. See, God can't have any Egypt in the promised land. You guys know that all the people that left Egypt died in the wilderness. God will allow the wilderness in the promised land, but he will not allow Egypt into the promised land. Because Egypt is slavery. See, the, promise, uh, the wilderness is the process. He will allow process into the promised land, but we will not allow slavery into the promised land. And so in the revelation about revelation, I want you to bring all your thoughts captive this morning. Bring your thoughts and say, does what I am doing, is the principles that I have established, are they causing me to not move closer in intimacy? Are they keeping me at bay? Amen? I want to talk about a couple symbols found in the Bible, and we're moving right into the confident woman. There are different symbols found in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we have the lamb and the high priest. You remember in the Old Testament, you have the sacrifice, and then you had the high priest. But what is that in the New Testament? Anybody know who that is in the New Testament? Jesus. So we know that that was a reality in the Old Testament, but it was pointing to a symbol in the New Testament. And we know that that symbol was Jesus. Here's another symbol. There was the temple in the Old Testament. Well, what's the temple in the New Testament? Our body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay? All right. Now, in the Old Testament, there was the room that was the Holy of Holies. Okay? The Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, that was the inner room. Okay? But in the New Testament, that was the Old Testament. The New Testament, the Holy of Holies is the Holy Spirit within the temple. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm just, we're bringing revelation. Okay? Amen? All right? So in the Old Testament, here's another type. Okay? Manna and the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's communion. Okay? You know, we're actually going to receive communion tomorrow at, at our church here. And when we receive this, a lot of people look, a lot of people think that there's power in taking the symbol. But there's not power in just eating bread and, and, and drinking a little uh, fruit snack. I had so much fun growing up, I was like, Mom, can I have another cup? No. But that girl over there, she took two cups. I want more blood of Jesus too. All right? No, you can't do that. That was, that was an organ. Um, and so a lot of times we get, we have fun and we, we think, in, a lot of times people put power in the symbols rather than what the symbols represent. Okay? I want, real quick, y'all know what this is, right? You see Now, I hold this up. What is it? Wedding ring. So what, is that, what does that mean? It means I'm married. Now, how many of you know the, what, what, what the ring symbolizes? It symbolizes that um, uh, there is no end and there is no beginning to our love. Okay? It's complete. It's all done. Okay? Now, how many know that this 
This, the, the power of my marriage is not found in my ring. The power of my marriage is found between the husband and the wife, between me and Kim, okay? If I remove my ring, am I still married? Yes. But guess what? See, I love, my, I love what it represents so much, I don't want to take it off. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, I'm talking about symbols because I want to talk about the most amazing symbol ever God created in my opinion. I want to talk about the symbol that God gave us in the Old Testament of a New Testament reality. And that is the symbol, the type, was Adam and Eve. See, what came out of Adam? Eve. What came out of Jesus? The church. See, today I'm not coming to you as a man. I'm coming to you as a bride. I'm not speaking to you as a male. I'm speaking to you as a bride. See, because we can relate there. See, I've been a bride a lot longer than I've been a groom. Really? Yeah, really. I've been a bride longer than I've been a groom. As a matter of fact, my process of being a groom and the quality of my groomship is limited to my ability to be knowing what it is to be a bride. Because in the process of me knowing how to be a bride, I will know how to treat mine. Come on. I mean, you guys are feeling me on that one. I know it. I just, I felt the anointing just flow back on me. It's like, it's just like wet and wild wave of anointing. Waves of mercy. Okay, so... In Genesis chapter 2, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to go like crazy. Are y'all getting anything out of this this morning? All right. Genesis chapter 2. And if you wouldn't mind going to 18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of, the out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, it, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper comparable to him. Okay, I want to stop right there. Have you guys ever, you know what the concept of loss of translation means? You guys ever heard a teaching on this right here? You guys ever heard of Azar Knitzo? All right. Yes, I was like, you know, I'm going to a women's conference. They've probably been teaching about this since, you know, and, and I just... I've been doing a study on this. The reason is, I want to learn, I want to continue to learn how to be a better bride so I can continue to pour what I, am what I am receiving into what I have been given. Okay? And so there is a process in my groomship that I am con continually learning, not just how to be a good groom, but to be a better bride so I know how to complete what God has given me. And so the concept of this right here, I'm going to talk to you about the helper. Okay? 
there's been such a loss of translation of what this particular word means. And if you look at the, if you look at the definition of, it actually, even if you look at the definition of what the helper comparable to him means, I want to talk to you real quick. I think a lot of times people don't really understand something about this term. And it says, it says one of the most frequently misunderstood terms in the Bible is the term helpmeet. And God gave him a helpmeet. Okay? In the book of Genesis. In Genesis 2.18 it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. That's in the King James or Old King James if you were reading out of that version. The common way in the say the term helpmeet is interpreted is to mean that God gave Adam a helper who was worthy of him. Eve, unlike the other living things of the earth, was appropriate for or worthy of him. This understanding of the term helpmeet is really not correct. The term in its original Hebrew means something much more profound and powerful when we really understand what God was saying to Adam when we come to see Eve's role and the role of woman, women on the earth in such a different light. See, this is neat. There is, not everyone in here is married, but if you are a believer, you are a bride. You see, there's a lot of women who seek to wear a ring more than they do seek to be a bride. There's a lot of women who put so much stock, and, and please, please understand, I'm talking about a spiritual reality there. There's a lot of women, they want the husband as far as, if you can imagine the husband being the manifestation rather than the reality. Does that make sense? And I want to go on here real quick. In Hebrew, the two words that help meet are derived from are the words ezer and the word kenedgo. Now, the word ezer is E-Z-E-R, and if you want to take notes, the word kenedgo is K-apostrophe-E-N-E-G-D-O. Ezer, which is commonly translated as help, is really a rich word with a much deeper meaning. According to the biblical, uh, biblical scholar David Freeman, the Hebrew word translated into English as help is Ezar. This word is a combination of two words. One meaning means to rescue and to save, and the other means to be strong. You know where we're going here. Just as the roots merged into one word, so did their meanings. At first, Ezar meant either to save or to be strong, but in time, the word Ezar was always interpreted to as help in a mixture of both nuances. It actually was such a, uh, uh, I mean, we have awesome studies of the word love, okay, and we, we can break it down, we can do, but that word Ezar was so, so vast, and so many times it's just help. And there's a lot of times you can miss out on a lot of truth when we simplify stuff sometimes. All right? Uh, a woman, uh, Diane Webb, in her book, Forgotten Women of God, also clarifies this word by explaining the noun, Ezer, accords, uh, occurs 21 times in the Hebrew Bible. Eight, in eight of these instances, the word means Savior. 
These examples are easy to identify because they are associated with other expressions of deliverance or saving. Elsewhere in the Bible, the root ezer means strength. The word is most frequently used to describe how God is an ezer to man. Uh, for example, the word Ebenezer in 1 Samuel 7.12 is used to describe the power of God's deliverance. For example, um, uh, Eben it means rock. Ezer means help or salvation. Ebenezer, therefore, means rock of help or a rock of salvation. The root Ezer is the same word that God used to describe Adam and, to Adam who Eve was. Can I read that again? Y'all are going to get this. The root Ezer is the same word that God used to describe Adam, who, to Adam, who Eve was. She was not intended just to be his helper or his companion. You see, the other part of the term helpmeet, which is commonly translated as meet for or fit for, is the word kinedgo. It is hard to know exactly what the word kinedgo means because it only appears this once in the entire Bible. Yet, uh, Diana Webb explained that neged, N-E-G-E-D, a related word means against, was one of the first words she learned in Hebrew. I thought it was very strange that God would create a companion for Adam that was against him. Later, I learned that kenedgo could also mean in front or opposite. This still didn't help much. Finally, I heard it explained that being as this, exactly corresponding to like when you look at yourself in the mirror see when I want you to there's some major revelation coming right here and what I'm about to present is not something that was not there it is there it's just been revealed and there's something there is going to be as we continue with the last couple minutes, there is going to be some things that I know God puts in front of you like he did Joshua and Caleb and said, there are giants in the land, but we can go and take it. And God can't allow old realities into new ones. So with that being said on Revelation, here we go. Eve was not designed to be exactly like Adam. She was designed to be his mirror opposite, opposing the other half of his qualities, responsibilities, and attributes. Just like Adam and Eve's sexual or organs were physically mirror opposites, one being internal and the other external, so were their divine stewardship designed to be opposite but fit together perfectly to create life. Adam and Eve's complete spiritual equal endowed with a saving power that was opposite from his. You see, a woman, if you look at the creation of woman, I want you to understand, it's very interesting on the concept of confidence. You see, man was created and man had a period in life when he did not have a companion. There was never a time 
and woman's creation where she did not have a companion. Think about that. If you think of when Adam was created, and then it says here in Genesis, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. You need, you need someone. Now, was Adam complete? Yes. God doesn't make flaws. He does not make flaws. He did not create imperfection. It's impossible. See, if God creates something imperfect, it's an extension of him. And that means he's imperfect. And that's not possible. And so from Adam came Eve. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. See, Adam was complete, but he wasn't perfect yet. You see, in the body of Christ, you are whole. You are, you are, you are a finished work. But guess what? We're being perfected. See, it's one thing... It's one thing when God created Adam, it wasn't, it's, it's not, the goal wasn't for him to make Adam complete. The goal was to make Adam one. The two shall become one flesh. Bring it back. Now let's, let's take the ring and let's point to what it points to. This is the symbol of Adam and Eve. Now let's talk to the real reality of God was really trying to do. Between the husband and the wife, not, I'm talking spiritually, okay? The husband and the wife, you are the face, the helper, the aid, the salvation opposite Christ. You were not created less, bride of Christ. You are equal to him. If you read John 17, the Bible talks about, as, as you are in me, I in them. And we are glorified together as one. See, there's a lot, of, I, I want to say, the, the, the whole term confident. I mean, I was really big on English growing up. And the word, uh, you, we know that we have a prefix, a suffix, and we have a root word, right? Well, the root word in confident is confide. You never really thought, I, I, I just was like, wow, thank you, Lord. The root word in confident is confide. And so when, when you know that Adam was alone, God said it's not good for Adam to be alone. When he created Eve, the very nature of Eve was to confide. The very nature of her is confidence. And the quality or the limitation of your confidence is who you are facing. See, there's a lot of women today that aren't facing Christ so there is no confidence. Does that make sense? Your confidence is determined by who you confide in. I mean, it may, it's, it's common, oh wow, I didn't know that. Confide. Confidence. Now, confidence isn't a verb. Confidence is a noun. See, when you make, uh, there's confidence, if you treat confidence like it's an action, then you think it's a fruit. And there's a lot of people that think that confidence is an expression. It's, it's not an expression. It's a reality. It's a reception. When we, when we are receiving confidence from Christ, that is just what we emit. 
Amen? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm closing right here. There's a difference between confidence and identity. See, in our church, we've been doing a lot of stuff about uh, identity, sonship, things like that. Um, identity, see, I have a daughter. She's amazing. I am putting in her identity. See, the difference between identity and confidence is this. Identity comes from your father. And from your father, con uh, identity reveals realities. It reveals possibilities. I am your father. You are my daughter. This is what your potential is. Okay? But let's move on. Confidence is not the same as identity. Confidence is given to you by your husband. Because the con you're confiding in your equal of what you are facing. Does that make sense? Adam and Eve, Eve confided in Adam. She her reality was given to her and what she got was what she was. Alright? Come on now. I'm getting it. I'm getting it too. Alright? Confidence comes from your husband's. From the husband, Jesus. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from anywhere. Confidence comes from Jesus. It comes from who you are facing. It doesn't come from what you affect out. It comes from what you receive in. And see, what you face determines what you will be. See, because when God created Eve, or God created Eve out of Adam, he could not create something out of Adam that Adam was not. He... Eve was Adam's finished facing product. See, God is three in one. And he could not make man and just say, okay, well, I'm three in one, but I'm just going to make you one. No, the very nature of God is three in one in unity, so he had to create for man the ability for unity. And he gave him the bride. The confidence that the bride has determines on what she is facing because what she is facing is who she is and what she draws from. It's, it's an amazing concept of unity. And I just see that the, the body of Christ, they are receiving, in our, in our church, we have received a word of identity, we have received a word of the Father, and it reveals realities, it reveals possibilities, but there's another step. And that's the step of confidence. The confidence comes from the husband. And the husband doesn't create realities. He empowers realities. Because you could get some car. You can have a beautiful car, but you're not going anywhere until you put some gas in it. And see, there's a lot of beautiful creations. God has birthed you. But now you need to know who your groom is. Because when you know who your groom is, you are going to empower yes. the beauty Hallelujah. that's inside of you, yes. that you already are. Amen? Yes. You could only produce what you already are. Yes. Jesus was able to bring, produce healing because he was healing. Yes. 
Jesus was able to produce peace because he was peace. You will only be able to produce confidence when you are confidence. I want to talk about, in the last two minutes, I'm going to go quick on this, but I don't need a lot of time. I want to talk real quick about there is a lie of the journey. There is a lie of a journey. I, I think a lot of times they're looking for steps. They're, they're looking, and in, 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 there isn't a problem in the journey, in a, in a journey in and of itself. There's no problem with the wilderness, but there's a problem when you stay in the wilderness. Okay? See, Satan, Satan was the representation of I will. We know that. There was the five I wills. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend into the heavens. I, there were five, five I wills. See, Jesus wasn't the representation of I will. Jesus was the representation of I am. Please get that. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of brides today that they operate out of I will rather than I am. Does that make sense? You getting that one? Because if you think I'm, I'm going to be like this, then you insult what he did. I am perfect in him. I am a new creation. See, there is a process that the devil tries to get you on that tries to void a complete work. See, because when God created Eve out of Adam, she was not incomplete. She was perfect. See, you are perfect. You are confident. See, Satan's methods are operating to something. Jesus' method is operating from something. You are confident because of him in you. You are made perfect. You are whole. You are the representation of I am. Come on. Come on. God's good. I want to thank you guys for allowing me to share this morning. Um, I, want to, I, want to, I want to press home revelation. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of amazing teaching in the Bible, uh, or in the body of Christ today. Um, but I also think that there, there is some teaching that uh, people, people stay away from because it, it causes a reaction. And sometimes people get uncomfortable with reactions. And it's not our goal here to let you be comfortable. <laughs> we we want to 